Open a Bible to 2 Timothy chapter 2. That's where we're ultimately going to land today. We're actually going to go to several places in between now and then, but 2 Timothy chapter 2 is where you're going to want to, where you're going to want to have ready when we, when we get there. A dear friend of mine, a dear friend of mine returned from that last deployment. There had been several. Some deployments, he had actually drawn closer to Jesus. Some deployments, some deployments had, had taken him to the pits. But on that last deployment, what he thought he would return to just wasn't there. And the man that they thought was coming home wasn't the man that got off the plane. And when he started trying to pick up his life, when he started trying to put the pieces back together, there was one verse, just a fraction of a verse, really, that he clung on to with all his might. And it was this line in Psalm 68, verse 6, where it says, God sets the lonely in families. God sets the lonely in families. We've been talking about, we've been talking about how do you belong? How do you find a place to belong? How do you find a place to become in the body of Christ? How do you, how do you make it yours? How do you own it? How do you, how do you, not just, not just how do you join the church, but how do you come to the place where you belong in the body of Christ? Not just for an hour on Sunday, but how do you come to the place where you belong in the body of Christ? And that idea, that idea that God sets the lonely in families, that God wants you to find a place to belong. That God never intended for you to live your Christian life in isolation. That God never intended for you to practice the faith as a solo sport. How do you, how do you come to the place that you belong in the body of Christ? So we've been, we've been working on, for, for simplicity's sake for me, five G's. We, we were talking about where does it start? Where does it begin? It begins with grace. It begins with coming to the place where you recognize, I have been born again. I have been saved by grace through faith. If you don't have that, you don't have anything, right? If you find people who will bear your burdens with you, but you don't have, you don't have salvation. If you find people who will care about you, but you don't know that you know Jesus, then you're not there yet. Finding that place, finding that experience with Christ where your heart says, I get it. I'm a sinner. I need a savior. Jesus, come into my life. I have been born again, saved by grace, through faith, not from anything that I've done, but it's by his mercy, right? Saved by grace, through faith. Jesus, come into my heart. It's the starting point. It may not be actually, it may not be actually your first day in the place, but it's the starting point in what it means to have a relationship with Jesus. And then, and then there's this determination that comes. The second G is to grow to decide that I am not going to, because here's the thing, I am transforming into Christ's likeness, and when I stumble, because you will stumble, you know that, right? I am transforming into Christ's likeness, and when I stumble, I am determined to begin growing again. I know too many people, I know too many people who come and they ask Jesus in their heart, sometimes there's tears, sometimes there's not. 
right? But that awareness, I get it. I'm a sinner. I need a savior. Jesus, I can't save myself. Come into my heart. Come into my life. People come. They, they ask Jesus into their heart. They get baptized. Oh, open that door. They get baptized. They go through the water, right? And it's a moment. They have an experience. It's fabulous. But then what does it happen? It, it, it goes away. It slips through their fingers. And they, they just determine to gut it out from here to eternity. The trouble is, the trouble is, God intended your Christian life to make a difference in how you live, not just how you die someday. And this determination to say, no, 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 I am in the process of becoming the man God made me to be in the first place. I am the process, in the process of becoming the person that God meant when he made me. And when I stumble, not if I stumble, but when I stumble. And some of us have stumbled rather badly. And when I stumble, I am determined, determined to get up and begin growing again. Good news for you if that's you. If that's you, good news, today's your day to begin again. Today's your day to start over. Today's your day. Today's your day. And there are people in this room right now who if you would, if you would just say, a little help, please, would come to you and would lift you up and would pray for you, and would love you, and would pour out their hearts for you. There are people here who would come alongside you. And that's where we come to today's message, which is gathering. I will gather in authentic community. I will help my people grow in their faith. And I will help my people grow in their faith while I welcome their help as I grow in mine. Can I tell you one of the hardest things about 20th and now 21st century American Christianity? We got no problem. We got no problem gathering in crowds. We got no problem gathering in groups. But when it comes time to gather in authentic community, well, that's a whole different matter. There's this, there's this line that God has planted in my heart about being God-centered and genuinely treasuring the people that God puts in my life. And then, and then this, taking the risk to be real so that we can give and receive grace with one another and in so doing, become like Jesus. That determination, when I stumble, how will I get up unless there is someone there to help me? And so I will gather in authentic community. I will help my people grow in their faith as I welcome their help as I grow in mine. I wish I had a program, I could tell you. I wish I had a simple three-step exercise. Do this, then do that, then take this course, and then here you'll be. And it'll deliver you reliably on the other. I wish I had a pipeline. But this only happens in relationship. This only happens in, you can facilitate it. You, and you will have to be intentional about it. You will have to seek this out. But I don't have a simple three-step recipe. I don't have a simple formula for you. This only happens as God leads us. So give me that next slide, if you would, please. So David, 
All of this is based out of the life of David. All of this grows out of the life of David. David is the one who, who had that place in his life where he said, look, God sets the lonely in families. David knows this because he knows what it is to have been lonely. David was once the celebrated favorite son. And then all of a sudden, David is living his life with eyes in the back of his head. His head is on a swivel because there is danger at every turn. David begins living a life where literally he's sitting, he's sitting at dinner one night and a javelin is stuck into the wall where his head used to be. I mean, he starts living in fear. He starts living in fear in that fine line between knowing that there's an enemy and feeling like everyone's out to get you. David knew what it was to find himself lonely, alone even in a crowd. And he had, he had gone down this slippery slope of pulling back from everybody that he thought he could trust. And he reached out for help only to find that the people whose lives he touched had their lives snuffed out. I mean, he, he, just, he just got to the place where it felt like he was toxic even to the people that he loved. And David found himself alone and isolated. Let me read this to you. It's from 2 Samuel chapter 22. David left Gath. Gath. I don't know if you remember Gath. Goliath of Gath. Gath, the Philistine city where his arch enemy was born and raised. This is not where you go unless there's no place else to go. And he had embarrassed himself at the, at the gates of Gath. When he left Gath, he had nowhere else to turn, and he escaped to the cave of Agilom. You may not know what that is. You may not know where that is, but the cave of Agilom is code for on the backside of nowhere. He went somewhere where no one would think to look for him. He went somewhere that was too far away for anybody to care to chase him that far. David left Gath, escaped to the cave of Agilom. And when his brothers and his father's household heard about it, they went down to him there. And all those who were in distress or in debt or discontented gathered around him, and he became their commander, about 400 in all. And you say to yourself, well, there you go. It all works out. No, no. When it says, when it says, David went to the cave of Agilom, and when his brothers found out, they came to him. And you may say, well, there you go, family. Family shows up for you. Family is who comes when nobody else can come. But don't forget David's brothers. David's brothers were the ones who had turned their back on him. David's brothers were the ones who had made fun of him when he took a stand for his faith in God. David's brothers, David's brothers had disowned him from the family until they needed him. Maybe some of you find yourselves in a particular cave where there are people that you should have been able to count on. But it was only once you got your life a little bit together that they actually came with their hand out to you. What? David's father's household? David's father, David's father was the one when the prophet came and said, show me your sons. One of them is supposed to be king. He paraded all of them out except for David. And then when David is down and out with nothing left, who shows up? All those who were in distress or in debt or discontented. <laughs> These are my people. But that's the thing, isn't it? When we find ourselves with the people who have suffered what we've suffered 
who have been where we've been. Those become, those become our people. <laughs> there's, there's that tired old line. Have you ever heard this one? In the kingdom of the blind, the one-eyed man is king. And David finds himself the leader of the leaderless. The, the one who has just this sliver left of hope, and he lends it out freely to the people around him. Give me that next slide, if you would, please. And so, and so here are the questions that I want to invite you into as we progress, and we'll come back to them in a minute. But for one, who have you let into your life? When it comes time to find your people, who have you allowed into your life? Because it's risky, right? It's risky to let people into your life, to, to, to take the risk to be real, because maybe they will, maybe they won't give and receive grace with you. Who have you allowed into your life? Because it's one thing to keep it together for an hour on Sunday. It's one thing, it's one thing if you've only got to keep it together long enough to get from the car to the building and back to the car. If that's how long you got to keep the facade up, you can do that. You can do that. At least once a week, you can do that. But if, but if you were to allow people into your life who could see the man you are on Monday, that's a little different. Who have you allowed into your life? Let me ask you this one. Has anyone let you into theirs? You may say, well, no, actually, nobody has. Maybe you're not as safe as you think you are. Maybe you put off a vibe that says, unless you agree with me, you're not welcome at my table. You may not mean to, but maybe that's the vibe that you're putting off. Maybe, maybe when people look at you, they don't see somebody who's safe. And maybe you need to take the risk to reach out to somebody and say, I'll show you mine. Right? Because let me ask you this. Are you, are you becoming more like Jesus or not? Or did you just make a decision one day, get wet one day, and now you're just kind of gutting it out until it's time to go? Those are the questions that you have to deal with. And the only way to actually get there is not going to be through a formula or a recipe or a program. It's going to be through relationships. So I, wanna, I want you to walk with me through some of these passages. So there was a time when, I don't know if you're a TED Talk person, but there was a time when, when uh, Simon Sinek, he, he had the Find Your Why video on TED Talk. It was, it was a good TED Talk. Lots and lots and lots of people watched it because it got to the motivation. It got to the, to the why of the what. Why do you do what you do? What is it that's driving you? What is the motivating factor? What, what's going on behind you? And if you can find your why, you'll be able to accomplish what it is. And, and, and the way you do that is you find your purpose, right? You find your cause. You find what it is that you're going to invest yourself in. You find what it is that's going to drive you. And for us, I would argue that for us, it has everything to do with grace and growth. It has everything to do with this. I get it. I get it. I'm saved by grace. And I'm not the man I used to be. I'm not chasing the dreams that I once chased. I'm not, I'm not trying to do the things that once drove me. I, I, I'm a new man. I, anyone who's in Christ, they're a new creation, and that's me. I'm saved by grace, and I'm determined to become like Jesus. And even when I stumble, I'm determined to get back up and get back on the path toward Christ-likeness. If that's you and you find your why, I'm telling you, the next thing you got to do is find your who. You got to find your who. You got to find the people who believe what you believe, who, who own what you own. They, they, there's shared dreams, there's shared fears, there's shared desires. You got to find your people. You got to find people. You got to find people who are going to 
weep with you when you weep, who are going to rejoice with you when you rejoice. You've got to find people who are going to share this journey with you because you can't do it alone. You just can't. You've tried, haven't you? You've tried. But Christianity was never meant to be lived out alone. So you've got 2 Timothy chapter 2, right? Do you have that where I asked you to turn 2 Timothy chapter 2? We're going to look through 2 Timothy chapter 2, verses 22 to 26. And we're just going to try to unfold a little bit of these dreams and, and desires and hopes and so forth. And so we're, we're going to just start and, and walk through these verses together. 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 22, it says, Flee the evil desires of youth and pursue righteousness, faith, love, and peace, along with those who call on the Lord out of a pure heart. I love that. Along with those who call on the Lord out of a pure heart. you got to find your people. You can't do it alone. I love the way it talks about flee and pursue. There's an approach and there's an avoidance. Flee youthful lusts is the way I remembered it when I was a kid. And it's not that youth are the only ones who lust. And it's not that youth are the only ones who have have, uh, desires that lead them astray. But isn't this true about you that even as a grown adult, even as a grown adult, usually the things that foul you up are things that you're old enough to know better than. Isn't that true? Haven't you found that to be true? Pastor Jack has found that to be true. It's even, even when you're grown, even when we, the things that foul you up are usually, they're, they're the things that you're old enough to know better. Old enough to know better. Flee, flee the evil desires of youth and pursue righteousness, pursue faith, pursue love, pursue peace. These are the things we believe in. These are the things we stake our lives on. These are the things where where God has made him who had no sin to be sin on my behalf that I might be made the righteousness of God through Christ. These are the things. This is the one who loved me so much that he sent his son to die for me righteousness and, and, and faith and love and peace, a peace that passes understanding that guards my heart and my mind in Christ Jesus. Flee all that other stuff and pursue the righteousness and faith and love and, and peace along with others who believe what you believe, who treasure what you treasure, who cherish what you cherish. Let's go on to the next verses where it says, where it says this, it says, don't have anything to do with foolish and stupid arguments because you know they produce quarrels and the Lord's servant must not be quarrelsome, but must be kind to everyone, able to teach, not resentful. And I'll tell you the honest truth. Years ago, somebody got on to me for using words in sermons like stupid and foolish. You just shouldn't talk to people that way. You shouldn't talk down to people like that. But it's not my words. It's Paul's words. Don't shoot the messenger. I'm just telling you what it says here. And when it comes to the things you fear, he says, look, don't have anything to do with these foolish and stupid arguments because one of my fears as a, as a, a maturing Christian man, one of my fears as a leader of a local body of Christ, one of my fears is that we lose focus on that which is eternal and we get our eyes so fixed on the stupid and foolish things that the world is trying to stir us up about that we become known only for what we're against, not for what we're for. One of my fears, honestly, is that we take our eyes off of Jesus and get our eyes onto the economy or the government. Not government, but government. 
we take our eyes off of Jesus and we get our eyes onto the rotten core of culture. And we become a people who can't do anything except complain about the world we live in. Precious ones, precious ones. Our lives were made for more than that. So don't have anything to do with the foolish and stupid arguments because you know they produce quarrels. And you've seen quarrels. You've seen quarrels out there. But sadly enough, you've seen quarrels in here. They produce quarrels, these foolish and stupid arguments. And the fact is, when we take our eyes off of the eternal and put our eyes onto our moment, we live only for the moment. Let's go on to the next verses where it says this. Where it says this. It says, opponents... um, Opponents must be gently instructed in the hope that, in the hope that, I've got that underlined in my Bible, in the hope that. These are our desires. In the hope that God will grant repentance, leading them to a knowledge of the truth, and that they will come to their senses and escape from the trap of the devil who has taken them captive to do his will. This is what we pray for. This is what we long for. We live in community with one another, and we reach out to our world in the hopes that in the hopes that, remember how it says, it's God's kindness that leads us to repentance. It never says that God wins a lot of arguments. God waits out a lot of arguments. But it's his kindness that leads us to repentance. Opponents must be gently instructed in the hope that God would grant them repentance. And isn't that what you pray for the people you love? I know you, some of you. I know that you are praying for your children or, or, or maybe your grandchildren or maybe maybe the person sitting next to you, that God would grant them repentance. That they would have this aha moment where they would say, I get it. I'm a sinner. I need a savior. That there would be this aha moment that allows that person you love to say, I'm sorry for what I've made of my life. I'm sorry for what I've done to our relationship. I'm sorry, and I get it. And they've come to the knowledge of the truth in the hope that God will grant them repentance, leading them to a knowledge of the truth and that they will come to their senses. That's that's what happened to the prodigal son, remember? When he was off in a foreign land, living life, on his own terms. And, but when he finally came to his senses, I know there are some of you who are praying for the people you love, the person that you love, Lord, in Jesus' name. Because, Lord, I know when he's in his right mind, when he's in his right mind, he makes good choices. He's a good kid, Lord. Lord, would you, would you help her come to her senses? Lord, if only she could live out of who she knows God made her to be. Lord, in Jesus' name, that the people that I love, the person that I love would come to their senses so that they can escape the trap of the devil who's taken them captive, Lord, in Jesus' name, that the chains could fall away. In Jesus' name, that the prison bars could swing open. Because here's the dream. 
Here's the dream. It's in Acts chapter 2. You've heard this one so many times. Here's the dream. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to the fellowship and to the breaking of bread and to prayer. And everyone filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. And all the believers were in common and they sold their possessions and property and they gave to anyone who had need. And every day, They continued to meet together in the temple courts and they broke bread in their homes and they ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. The the dream of it all, right? The dream is to live a life with other people who share those same beliefs and hopes and dreams and desires that you could find a place to live devoted to what God has done in your life, filled with awe as God gives you eyes to see how he's at work in your life, in the life of the people you love, in the life of your community of believers, filled with awe, just together, you know, together. No longer trying to do it on your own. No longer trying to run your own race, paddle your own canoe. No, no, no. That you find some people who are going to go with you on this journey. Generous. Generous. Not with a heart that keeps score, but with a heart that says, I love you. And if I've got something you need, it's yours. It's yours. Just have it. With a heart that that just cares so much more about the people around you, continuing on so that if you stumble, when you stumble, there's somebody around to reach down and help pick you back up. Just worshiping, just worshiping, just finding your place before the Lord and saying, I get it, you're God, I'm not. I get it, you're at work to do something in my world that I can only begin to imagine. God, I'm in awe of you. God, I want you to come. I want you to make the changes in my life that need to happen. I give myself to you. We give ourselves to you.